I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 30. Genesis chapter 30, and I'll be reading from verse uh, 25 into chapter 31, verse 3. Genesis chapter 30, beginning in verse 25. And the word of the Lord says, As soon as Rachel had borne Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away, that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children, for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees, and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped, and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. This is the word of God, 
and it is for our good. Let's pray. Father, we pray that this particular passage of Holy Scripture would assist us in the renewing of our minds, that our lives might be transformed by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I just want just to begin uh, to, to help, help you get an understanding of the, the time frame of Jacob's 20 years with, with Laban. Uh, the, a couple weeks ago, we looked at most of Genesis chapter 29, which summarized Jacob's first seven years in Haran with Laban. And then last week, we looked at the end of chapter 29 and into uh, half of verse chapter 30, uh, where we learn about Jacob's second period of seven years with Laban. And then now we come to his final six years. But I want you to see this, this division of time. So if you, if you turn over uh, to chapter 31, look at verse 41. Uh, this is on the eve of Jacob's departure from Laban. And Jacob says to Laban in verse 41 of chapter 31, he says, These 20 years I have been in your house. I served you 14 years 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock. So you see 14 years and six years. But that 14 years is divided into two sevens. If you go back to chapter 29 and verse 20, it tells us that Jacob served seven years for Rachel. At the end of those seven years, he got Leah and Rachel and then uh, because he'd gotten two, two wives now, uh, both Laban's daughters, Laban required him to work another seven years. So if you come to the end of, ver- of, of verse 30, from chapter 29, verse 30, we are told that Jacob served Laban for another seven years. And that flows into the passage we looked at last week, where during his second period of seven years, Jacob had a household filled with babies. So now as we come to our passage today, it is obvious that Jacob has completed his second period of seven years. He has fulfilled that obligation to Laban. However, you'll notice that the passage doesn't begin by telling us that when Jacob's uh, years of service were complete, he went to Laban and asked to be released. Instead, it tells us that as soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said, said, uh, said to Laban, send me away. So Joseph must have been born around the time when Jacob was concluding uh, his, his second seven-year period of service. Perhaps uh, Jacob had fulfilled that seven-year commitment a few weeks or a few months earlier, but he wanted to... But he wanted to wait because Rachel was pregnant. He wanted Rachel to give birth. And then as soon as Rachel gave birth, he was ready to roll. After 14 years, Jacob was ready to return home. Now, uh, so that, that, that just gives you a sense of the, 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 the unfolding timeline. Uh, we're looking at Jacob's last six years today. But instead of, instead of uh, simply taking his wives and children and hitting the road, uh, Jacob showed courtesy to Laban 
by asking for his favor in sending them off. Uh, Jacob is, is wise to seek the blessing of his father-in-law, Laban. Uh, after all, his wives are Laban's daughters and his children are Laban's granddaughters and, and grandsons. Laban has provided room and board for Rachel and Leah their entire lives. Laban has provided room and board for Jacob for 14 years. Laban has provided room and board for his grandsons and granddaughter for the last seven years as they were born. And so Laban is significantly invested in the well-being of Jacob's family. And so it is good and right for Jacob to have consulted Laban and asked for his blessing before he departs. But although Jacob was ready to depart, Laban was not ready for Jacob to leave. Laban recognizes that he cannot force Jacob to stay longer, so he appeals to Jacob at the beginning of verse 27. If I have found favor in your sight. And then Laban acknowledges that his own growth in wealth over the past 14 years is a result of the Lord blessing him on account of Jacob. He says in verse 27, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. The Lord's favor upon Jacob meant enrichment for Laban. Now, if Laban is telling the truth that he learned this by divination, then he means that he obtained this information by a pagan technique of accessing the spirit world or interpreting superstitious signs. On the other hand, since Laban is not a consistent truth teller, he may simply be embellishing his attempt at getting his son-in-law to stay, stay longer by boosting his appeal with the claim to supernatural knowledge. But whether or not Laban had learned anything by divination, we can be confident that Laban's motives are not pure. He dealt deceitfully with Jacob at the end of Jacob's first seven years. For through his shenanigans with Leah and Rachel, he basically forced Jacob to, ser uh, forced Jacob to serve him for another seven years. And now at the end of the second period of seven years... It is obvious in the overall context of our passage that Laban is once again dealing deceitfully with Jacob. Basically, Laban wants to squeeze as much as he can out of Jacob. Uh, Laban wants to get even richer at Jacob's expense. And this doesn't mean that Laban is unwilling for Jacob to share in the increase, but it, nevertheless, Laban's primary focus is his own self-enrichment. And the problem here is not that Laban cares about the economic prospering of his own household. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is that Laban is, is pursuing the enrichment of his own household by ripping Jacob off and by dealing deceitfully with Jacob. And this means that Laban is not enthusiastic about the economic flourishing of Jacob's households, his daughter's households. And this, of course, means that Laban is failing to fulfill the second most important commandment, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. 
Laban is selfish and deceitful. However, he knows that he cannot appear to be selfish and deceitful. That would be bad for his business. So he conveys a generous impression by inviting Jacob to set his own salary. Name your wages and I will give it, verse 28. And this sounds like a warm and open-handed comment on Laban's part, but as Andrew Steinman comments, it appears that Laban was unconcerned about giving Jacob the privilege of setting the terms of their agreement because Laban never exhibited any commitment to keeping his obligations. So this is just a... uh, uh, an attempt at bargaining on on Laban's behalf. Jacob, however, will not jump immediately into his salary requirements. First, he wants to emphasize his profitability to Laban over the last 14 years. Look at verse 29. You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. Jacob is not ashamed of his record of service. He has served faithfully, diligently, and productively. Most importantly, the Lord's blessing accompanied Jacob's service. Wherever Jacob turned to serve Laban, there the Lord blessed and enriched Laban. Little had become much on Laban's farm. Laban's household was thriving, at least in terms of agricultural and material abundance. Jacob had demonstrated a willingness to serve 14 years for someone else's financial prosperity. The time had come, however, where Jacob had to give deliberate attention to to advancing the economic interests of his own household. But now, he says, when shall I provide for my own household also? Jacob had been an instrument For the provision of Laban's household, now Jacob knew that he needed to be an instrument for the provision of his own household. And the question that Jacob asks here, I want to meditate on it for a few minutes. The question that Jacob asks is a very good question for men, for husbands and fathers to ask. It's not a selfish question. Don't feel guilty and ashamed for asking Jacob's question about how shall I provide for my own household. In fact, there might be cause for you to feel guilt and shame if you are not asking Jacob's question. Of course, household provision can be pursued selfishly, as my critical comments about Laban demonstrate, but the question itself is not a, is not a selfish one. Ever since the first man stepped onto the scene in the garden, it is good and right for men to be deliberate about working and keeping what God entrusts to them and seeing to it that the household economy flourishes for every household member. In her own distinct way, a wife, as her husband's helpmate, also cares about these matters and pursues them in a variety of ways, even as a godly father eagerly assumes responsibility for the well-being of his household. So a godly mother looks well to the ways of her household, Proverbs 31, verse 27. This is not about selfish and luxurious enrichment. Instead, this is about taking responsibility for the well-being of your own family. The apostle Paul taught the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 10 to 12, but we urge you, brothers, to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, 
to work with your own hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. One aspect of walking properly before outsiders is not being a freeloader, not being lazy and wasteful, not through carelessness and foolishness being dependent on others to meet your basic needs, not by negligence expecting the system to foot the bill. As a man who was bound in servitude to Laban for 14 years, Jacob was overly dependent on Laban for such things as room and board. Though it wasn't wrong for Jacob to have served as Laban's servant, the time had come for him to be independent of Laban and to assume greater responsibility for the maintenance and prosperity of his own household. As always, the instruction that Paul gives and for which Jacob serves as an example, must be pursued with the right motivation. When a man chooses to pursue advancement and success in his line of work because he loves money, because he loves the world, because he wants to lay up treasures on earth, because he wants to squeeze as much comfort and pleasure as he can out of this present life, then he is in a bad way, not unlike Laban. However, when a man wants to honor the Lord, love his wife, care for his children, and make his household a blessing to his church family and wider community, then he will pursue excellence in his line of work. Outwardly, two people might look similarly devoted to their craft or trade, but their internal motivations might be worlds apart. The first is laying up for himself treasure on earth, whereas the second is flourishing in the riches of the kingdom of God. After Jacob asked out loud when he would get on with the task of providing for his own household, Laban replied in verse 31, what shall I give, give you? And to summarize Jacob's answer, Jacob is basically asking Laban to let him have his own starter flock out of Laban's flock, which was considerably large. Jacob says, verse 31, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Jacob is asking for his own starter flock of goats and lambs. Jacob's first phrase, every speckled and spotted sheep, it's sheep in the English Standard Version, might actually be a reference to goats since the Hebrew word translated sheep can also refer to goats. And in that case, Jacob's final phrase, the spotted and speckled among the goats, might actually, actually refer to female goats for that is what the Hebrew word actually means. And so Jacob's two references to goats would then correspond to Laban's removal of the male goats and the female goats in verse 35. In addition to the goats, Jacob also proposed to be permitted to take the black lambs. And by means of the offspring from his own starter flock, Jacob would be able to grow his, his own flock of speckled, uh, speckled uh, goats and dark lambs. Now, in the context of verses 27 to 30, 
Jacob is making a very reasonable and modest request. Laban had small flocks before Jacob arrived on the scene, but under Jacob's management, the flocks had increased abundantly. And this abundant increase was the Lord's blessing through Jacob to Laban, and Laban knew that he had received this abundance uh, by divine grace. Therefore, Jacob only asked for his own relatively small starter flock out of the abundance that the Lord had freely given to Laban on Jacob's account. Out of that abundance, Jacob would take the speckled and spotted goats and the black lambs, and all the other goats and sheep would remain Laban's. Andrew Steinman provides valuable insight when he says, since sheep were normally all white and goats normally all dark, brown or black, Jacob was offering to receive a distinct minority of the future offspring of the flocks. So Jacob's request was a modest one. If Laban was willing to let Jacob have his own starter flock, out of which he could continue to multiply provision and wealth for his family, then Jacob would continue to pasture Laban's flock. And there's no doubt that this arrangement would have been mutually beneficial, that the Lord's blessing would not only have been upon Jacob, but also would have continued upon Laban, if only he had responded in good faith. Of course, it looks like Laban is responding in good faith. And this sets the stage for Jacob's final six years in Haran. But when Laban agreed to Jacob's request, he was actually speaking with a forked tongue. Look at what he says in verse 34. Good. Let it be as you have said. Wonderful. His his words of agreement just flowing like butter. Smooth butter. But on the inside, Laban had another deceitful trick up his sleeve for as soon as Laban had cut the deal with Jacob he proceeded to break the contract (laughs) verse 35 that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted and everyone that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in charge of his sons and sent them away putting them quite a distance from Jacob leaving Jacob to pasture the rest of Laban's flock so the, the very animals that Laban had agreed to let Jacob take Laban removed from his flock, thereby leaving Jacob with nothing of his own. Furthermore, with the striped, spotted, and speckled goats and the dark sheep out of the equation, it would be much more difficult for Jacob to obtain striped, spotted, and speckled offspring from among the goats and black lambs from among the sheep. So since Laban didn't uphold his end of the bargain... Jacob was not obligated to continue pastoring Laban's flock. However, Jacob did continue to shepherd Laban's flock. And so Jacob begins his final six years in Haran by getting ripped off and by all outward appearances by having the deck stacked against him in terms of developing a substantial flock of his own from out of the offspring of Laban's flock. So verses 25 to 36 set up Laban's final, uh, set up Jacob's final six years with Laban. And then verses 37 to 42 describe the particular focus of Jacob's activity during these final six years. As he tended Laban's flock, Jacob's priority was to be diligent to develop his own flock of speckled goats and dark sheep out of the offspring 
of Laban's flock. Let's review Jacob's flock breeding program. First, looking at verses 37 and 38, first, Jacob peeled white streaks in fresh sticks from three different kinds of trees, poplar, almond, and plain, and put the peeled sticks in the watering troughs or by or in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink. Second, these flocks were in the habit of breeding when they came to drink, and therefore they bred in front of the sticks that Jacob had placed in the watering troughs. Third, thus breeding in front of the sticks, the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. Verse 39. Fourth, looking at verse 40, Jacob, uh, he developed his own flock of striped, speckled, and spotted goats and black lambs, and he did not put them with Laban's flock, but he separated them. Fifth, Jacob had made it a point to lay the sticks in the trough when the stronger of the flock were breeding. But he would not lay the sticks there when the feebler of the flock were breeding. This meant that Jacob's growing flock of striped, speckled, and spotted goats and black lambs were the stronger animals, whereas Laban's all-dark goats and all-white sheep were the weaker animals. Sixth, as a result of Jacob's breeding program over a period of several years, over a period of six years, verse 43 Jacob increased greatly and had large flocks of goats and sheep. Female servants and male servants were added into the mix, as well as camels and donkeys. Jacob became rich. Now, a a good question that arises from this passage is, what is the actual relationship between the peeled white streaks of fresh sticks in the watering troughs and the goats bringing forth striped, speckled, and spotted offspring. Now, I'm not going to do this, but, you know, I, I could probably, I could probably pursue very interesting lines of thought for the next 10 to 15 minutes in answering that question, which I'm not going to do, but I want to say a couple things about it. Serious minded Bible scholars have given various answers to the question. For example, superstitious prenatal influence, as if the animals looking at the white streak would have an impact on their offspring, or an aphrodisiac for breeding animals. A a, a very serious-minded, science-loving Bible scholar uh, suggests that. Epigenetics, they've, they've looked into, they've studied this, epigenetics in which the nutrients from the fresh sticks in the drinking water can impact gene expression. Or a nutritional and medicinal health boost for the animals drinking from the trough. All, all, of, all of these things have been suggested. You know, you, you, someone could also suggest that, well, maybe Jacob was just following instructions that God gave him. But... but We have to be restrained because the text doesn't say that. The the text doesn't say that God commanded Jacob to do this. So we have to to hold all of our speculative thinking with an open hand. We know what happened, but we don't know know all the ins and outs of it. But I, I do want you to keep two things in mind. First of all, remember this. Jacob was not some novice. 
Okay? He was a seasoned and knowledgeable shepherd under whose management Laban's flock had prospered for the last 14 years. Jacob was not the shepherd equivalent of a medical quack. He had done good work, and he had impressive results to show for it. And it stands to reason, at least as a distinct possibility, that as a skilled shepherd practitioner, Jacob would have learned and or observed various patterns of correlation and tendencies among breeding animals. Okay, this was Jacob's trade. So remember that. But whatever the significance might have been of the flock seeing the peeled white sticks or drinking from the water trough or breeding here in this location rather than there in that location, we have to reckon with the bigger picture of chapter 31. Chapter 31 makes it very clear that the decisive factor in the success in the atypical and unexpected success of breeding striped, speckled, and spotted goats was God's sovereign hand blessing Jacob in view of Laban's unjust dealings. Whatever may or may not have been in Jacob's mind or intention concerning the sticks in the watering trough, Jacob knew that the Lord was giving him a fruitful flock. Look at what Jacob says in chapter 31, verse 6. He's speaking to his wives. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob. And I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. So God saw Laban's unjust dealings with Jacob and God invited Jacob to lift up his eyes and see in the dream, but corresponding to what was actually going to happen at the, at the trough, at the watering trough, to see that striped, spotted, and mottled goats are the ones mating with the flock. God superintended the breeding process for Jacob's benefit. Jacob said of his first 14 years with Laban, That the Lord blessed you wherever I turned. Now we might say of Jacob's final six years in Haran. That the Lord blessed Jacob wherever Jacob turned. So when you read what Jacob did in terms of flock breeding at the end of chapter 30. In light of how God sovereignly superintended the process from chapter 31 verses 6 to 12. The bottom line reality is that Jacob's increase in wealth, in flocks, in servants and other animals. That, that Jacob's increase was God's doing. And as Jacob's wealth grew over this period of six years, his relationship with Laban deteriorated. Laban's sons were critical and resentful as we look at the beginning of chapter 31. 
They said, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob heard what Laban's sons were saying, verse 1. And then Jacob saw, verse 2, Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Though Laban had serious shortcomings, Jacob apparently felt that Laban had nonetheless showed him at least a measure of genuine kindness in the past. But now Jacob was out of favor with Laban and with Laban's sons. These extended family relationships had grown cold. And the whole picture is very sad. Laban and Laban's sons should have been grateful for how much the Lord had blessed them during Jacob's first 14 years with them. And they should have been eager and glad for Jacob and for Jacob's wives. They're Laban's daughters and Laban's sons' sisters for Jacob and Jacob's wives and for their children. They should have been eager for them to have shared in the wealth that God had granted to Laban. And if Laban had been generous and large-hearted towards Jacob, he would have safeguarded his own wealth for him and his sons. Indeed, the way it worked out, however, is that Laban's household wealth deteriorated during Jacob's last six years. Not so much because Jacob took Laban's wealth away, but because God took away Laban's livestock and gave them to Jacob, as chapter 31, verse 9 tells us. Even so, Jacob's broken relationship with Laban set the stage for his return home. It is not uncommon that when painful circumstances descend upon us, that the Lord is about to redirect our steps, whether in terms of geography or in terms of vocation or in terms of ministry or in terms of some relationship. It was the painful relational circumstance with, with his brother Esau that had prompted Rebekah to send Jacob to Haran 20 years earlier. And now it is the painful circumstance with Laban that sets the stage for Jacob's return to Canaan. For we read in verse 3, Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. And with that direction from the Lord, Jacob knows it is time to return home. Don't be surprised when difficult circumstances or deteriorated relationships are part of God's sovereign orchestration to get you from point A to point B. Now, I want to leave you with what I think is a very helpful and practical application from this passage. It is a simple and straightforward lesson. I'll tell you what it is and then reflect on it for a few moments. Here's the lesson. Trust in the Lord in the midst of your delayed timetable. You see, Jacob had a six-year delay. And I call it a delay speaking from Jacob's perspective. Of course, from God's perspective, it was not a delay. But notice how our passage began. Chapter 30, verse 25. Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. It had been Jacob's 
plan and intention to return home at that point after having spent 14 years with Laban. But instead, six years passed. And then after those six years, he received the authoritative word from the Lord in chapter 31, verse 3. Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. Jacob's timetable to return home. And the Lord's timetable for Jacob to return home were six years apart. What you do in the in-between is really important. Trust the Lord in the midst of your delayed timetable. Wait patiently for the Lord's timetable to unfold in your life. Be attentive to what the Lord wants to accomplish in your life during that delay. I'll come back to Jacob in just a moment. But, but first I want to just do a fast forward to the New Testament. Brother or sister in Christ, remember that whatever challenges you may face during the delay, nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 8:39. Remember that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us, Romans 8:18. 8, Remember also that the sufferings and trials are useful to your practical growth in godliness, James chapter 1 verses 2 to 4. Remember that the spirit helps us in our weakness and intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, Romans 8, 26. Remember that for those who love God, all things work together for good, Romans 8, 28. And that one of God's great purpose, purposes for the all things, including sufferings, trials, and delays, is to conform you to the image of his son, Romans 8, 29. Remember, if God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8, 31. If God is for Jacob, what difference does it really make if Laban and Laban's sons are against Jacob? It matters not. Also remember that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all will also graciously give us all things. Romans 8.32 All things that are necessary for and conducive to our walk with the Lord now and forever. Now as a practical help in all this, draw upon the knowledge of what Jacob experienced and did during his six year delay. He faced dishonesty, deceit, disadvantage, and disfavor from Laban. But in the midst of that, Jacob experienced the favor of God. Is it not true that sometimes God's favor upon us shines most brightly in those very moments when the world's disfavor is hard upon us? Jake, Jacob, uh, Jacob's experience of God's favor did not mean that he sat down and did nothing. Jacob took care of Laban's flock, right? Jacob worked diligently to provide for his own household. And by the way, this is beautiful. Jacob had purchased Esau's birthright on the cheap and Jacob had acquired Esau's blessing through deceit. But that, those, those character flaws and failures are in the distant past now. 
And now Jacob steps up. He's, he's, he's grown up. I mean, marriage and 12 kids is a great way to grow up. And now he's willing to work hard to provide for his household. What a beautiful transformation. He learned to work hard for Laban during his first 14 years with Laban. And then he labored diligently to benefit his own household. Whatever else we might say about Genesis chapter 30 verses 37 to 42, we must observe the simple fact that Jacob was actively working. He took and peeled and set and separated and put some of the active verbs from those verses. Even though God's miraculous work was behind it all, the simple fact remains that God blessed Jacob in conjunction with Jacob's work, not apart from it. Further, Jacob got to experience the providence and justice of God in a very personal way. He came face to face with the reality that God was standing in judgment upon Laban for Laban's deceitful practices, but that God was standing in favor upon Jacob, fulfilling the very promises that the Lord had made to Jacob back in chapter 28. In all this, Jacob had front row seats to learn the righteous ways of the Lord. Finally, notice that Jacob was made ready to move at the Lord's command. When Jacob first went to Haran, he went to Haran at his parents' command. And when Jacob initially thought to leave Laban after 14 years and return home, he had that intention according to his own reasoning process. But now, after his final six years in Haran, he is ready to respond directly to the Lord. Then the Lord said to him, return to the land of your fathers and I will be with you. Brothers and sisters, don't resent the delays. Don't resent the six-year delays. If you dismiss those delays, you will miss God's beautiful purpose for it. And when it was finally time for Jacob to return home, he left with an abundance of provision that the Lord had put in his lap during those past six years. Don't underestimate the fruit that God intends to give you or the lessons that he plans to teach you or the sanctification that he will work in you during the delays. Patiently and diligently attend to the responsibilities that God has put in front of you and trust the Lord to do beneficial things in your life during the timetable that you did not choose, but that the Lord ordained for your good. And while you're trusting him, learn to sing all the way my Savior leads me. Because that is the truth of the matter. And in just a minute, we're going to sing it. Let's pray. Father, for those of us who are yours, all the way you lead us in surprising, unexpected, but ultimately good ways. Father, I pray that 
your word and your promises and your faithfulness and even these lessons from the life of Jacob would be a, a firm foundation beneath our weak and fragile feet and that you would hold us up and grant us to live with intention and purpose and confidence in you even during the delays and trials of our lives. Have mercy upon us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.